This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning, and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. It is that time, post Bass Master Open, where the man, Bradley Hallman, joins me live in studio for a breakdown of what is the most recent open on the schedule. And if you listen to yesterday's show, uh, probably one of the most talked about opens in recent history with Keith Poche getting the job done with a three day total weight of 3712, bettering uh, Greg Hackney by a couple of pounds there. Bradley, thanks for taking the time to drive down to more Oklahoma, USA and talk bass fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here, dude, in studio. Good deal. We are right in the middle of a, uh, a rather arduous uh, schedule. Uh, kind of four opens. It's a, it's a week on, week off, week on, week off, yeah. week on, week yeah. off, week on to close things out. Uh, would you would you rather it just be back to back to back to back, or do you like the little bit of time off in between? It almost seems more chaotic to be able to come back for four or five days and try to get your life together and then go back on the road again for another week and a half. It's been kind of a grinder for the last month, Brad. Yeah. I, I don't know which I prefer. Um I mean, I guess I personally preferred some time off, you know, that one a month or, you know, somewhere in that time frame that we were at. We had a lot of time off, though, this year, you know, earlier in the year. where we Yeah, were, there was about a month and a half there yeah, where we didn't big, have anything before Oneida. Gaps, yeah. Um, but, you know, some of this stuff, as far as we're traveling, I wouldn't mind hitting them in back-to-backs either, you know, yeah. and get them over with. I know uh, you've done a, a little bit of talking about the schedule for next year. Uh, hopefully, that hopefully you don't have to pay attention to that schedule. We'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. You yeah. are uh, you're in a very good uh, position uh, overall in the points right now. Uh, there's several double qualifiers ahead of you for the Bassmaster Opens. Overall, they take the top three in the points, and then they work down double qualifiers from the Central, the Northerns, and the Southerns. Currently, there's one of those. Uh, do you know how they're going to do the elite? If there's a guy like Kent ahead of you on the elite series, does that go down the overall or does that go to an elite series guy? I believe it goes down the overall. I've talked to a couple people about it, but not people that have really studied the rule. But I believe that that goes down the open spot. That okay. Does not go back um, so you have you you are alive in two divisions. The central division. Uh, you finished 14th at Ross Barnett to uh, kick the season off in the central division, and then. Uh, came back in an absolute grinder of a derby on uh, the Red River and finished 26th, which is what we will dive into today. So uh, taking that 50-point uh, wiggle room that seems to be the magic number yeah. in each open division, uh, you got your work cut out for you, but uh, you also, you're alive in the centrals and then very alive in the overall, which going into the final two tournaments of the year, not much more you could ask for. 
No, I mean, I've got two of them playing. It seems like the last two years, I've had a chance going into the last one. Um, all three years I've been doing this, but it's been really close. And I think that this year's probably, uh, I've got a little more wiggle room than, than I have in the years past. Uh, our our house that we room with is, is Andrew Upshaw, myself, John uh, Sokup, and you. And I did not know, uh, you, you're handling it pretty much like I thought you would. Whatever, go out, take care of business. It'll handle it, and I'll let people tell me where I am. I did not realize how, uh, uh, I guess, analytical and points-watching Sokup is. Very, like, that dude is yeah. literally refreshing the Angler of the Year standings from, like, if he weighs in at 315, he starts as soon as the weigh-in's over. And it's, it, it, I did not realize he was like that. Yeah, we are total opposites in that aspect. Because, I mean, to me, it's just, you know, I don't even – I honestly, like the points you're talking about right now and the overall, I didn't understand until you were explaining to me yesterday. I had not looked that close. Um, I didn't look at double qualifiers. I don't – because it, it, that's not going to matter until it's all over. And there's, right. still, there's still a lot of fishing. It only takes one day, one day, one bad day, and you are done. Mm-hmm. See, Cooper has a chance because he's seventh in the Southerns, and we're headed to the final – this is a Southern, right? Yes. On on Hartwell this week. It'll be the last next southern. week. So so Cooper is seventh in the in the uh, in the Southern Division. Uh, so there, and he's ahead of you in the points. David Gaston is leading the Central Division, and he's ahead of you uh, in the points on that. So and then, like I said, you are currently uh, seventh with Poche, who's already double qualified. Uh, Soakup, who has an outside chance of of double qualifying. Gaston who has a good chance of double qualifying. Kenta, who is an elite series angler. And then Cole uh, Cooper, who has a chance of double qualifying. Then Cole Sands, and then you. We, we, we definitely need to get that um, answer about the elite series qualification from uh, Hank. Because if Kenta was to finish inside that, and they could very easily say... It goes down to the elite series. It goes down to the elite series, then... I'm going to have to tie Kenta up at the boat ramp and not let him fish at Rayburn. Well, I think the next guy on the Elite Series list would be, is it Gleason? believe it's either Gleason or Gary Klaus. One of those two. One of those two. So if if you tie Kenta up, they're going to untie him. (laughs) Because... Because it works both ways. Uh, I always feel bad for that guy. We, we, I mean, we need an answer. We need some, In the some past years, remember, there's always been those anglers who it's like, hey, if you fish this, so-and-so gets in. If you don't fish this, another guy gets in. And yeah. it's, I, I've, I've always wondered what must be going through the head of the guy who's like, I just want to fish the damn tournament. Like I, don't, I wasn't planted on, on d- determining other people's fate on this. I just want to go out and catch 15 bass. I know stories of like one year uh, – Brian Schmidt won an open uh, on Champlain, and he had just jackpotted it, like just got in and jackpotted it. And um, by him winning that, it saved up a spot to open up on the Elite Series to move down one more click yeah. for the Bassmaster Classic, which it ended up being Ish Monroe. It got Ish in. Yeah. And so Ish sent this really nice care package uh, to Schmidt, and at the time they didn't know each other, but I thought that was pretty. Yeah, pretty funny. I remember every year there has been. There's always that guy in the elite series who's hoping that a guy who didn't fish all the divisions or isn't qualified or is already double qualified wins right. the open. And one right. year it went down like two or three, like the last two or three guys in the, in a row. Well, wasn't I think Scott was in that position at one point too? Yeah, last yeah. year, yeah. the year before, where he yeah. needed a guy to win and he actually won. Yeah. So, anyway, uh. 
Well, well uh, before we get into it, we'll just talk about the current uh, goings-ons. You know, I mentioned uh, Keith Poche won at a very spirited BTL yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Poche jumping on with the trophy. Uh, big appreciation to Keith for taking time out of his day to do that. Uh, you know you know how it is after a major win, how uh, your time is pulled in a bunch of different directions. Uh, so for him to sit down for over uh, an hour at a family member's house and jump on, I greatly appreciate it. But uh, it seems like every couple of years, sometimes every year, sometimes it goes a couple of years, there's a win that is accompanied with an essay controversy. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just a cut and dry. This guy went out. Here's exactly how he did it. Here's he did it. He, we watched him. He kicked. But, dude, there was more. This is the most, and I put that in quotations, controversial tournament that I've ever fished at an opener Toyota series level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it, you know, it, just go back and watch, listen to the show yesterday if you haven't heard it. But, you know, he was, he was accessing a hard to reach area. There were rumors of how he was getting in there. He had a video out of how he was getting in there saying, look, I ain't using ropes. I ain't using it. I'm pushing in there. I'm getting in there. Look, I'm in there now. He passed the polygraph test from uh, Bass that he was more than willing to take about what happened during official practice and, and that he shows up on the final day. There's rocks in his area. Guys without him asking move rocks. He posts about it, which he got clearance from Bass to do. He's got, I mean, he, all sorts of crazy stuff on, but there's a, a, a bunch of guys that were just like not thrilled with how it went down. Why do you think that was, Brad? It's just, you know, it starts with, with rules and regulations and everything, but you know, he's right. I listened to the conversation that you had with him yesterday and it's the game that he wants to play. That's how he likes to play it. And it starts with the manufacturer manufacturing of that little small boat. Um, that thing is not much wider than a canoe. It's, it's built to go in places that nobody else can get. And that's the game he's playing. And he's been running it for a long time now. Um, he's fished, all three years in the opens that I fished this last three years, and um, Bass hasn't changed the rules. I know there's been complaints about his boat to Bass staff from other people before. Um, it meets all the requirements and regulations. It was manufactured and built to to be and hit those marks. You know, I mean, so this didn't just all start at the Red mm-hmm. River. Like he's been planning this for a long time. It's what he does. Yeah. Um. Louisiana is always where this stuff comes up, it seems like. Sabine River. Over and over. You Delta, know, we were talking at the Red, Red about, about Rojas. That, that, yep. it, you know, you practiced in a place. Yeah, we'll get into that later when we go um, when we go over our tournament practice and strategy. I think that, you know, there's guys that are upset because it's shady. You know, it's it's not something that, that you know, you're – it's 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 gaining an advantage by staring at the rules to try to find instead of gaining advantage of okay how can i catch fish better how can i figure this out how can i figure that out it's more of a well let me try to get an advantage this way let me study the rules as hard as i can and find loopholes and what are the loopholes that will give me the best advantage and then when that works and he's right when it doesn't work and he's out there at oneida getting his brains beat in by four foot ways nobody cares but when it works for him is when people are upset. Would you like to see more standardization in equipment? I talked about this a little bit yesterday. The drivers, 460 cc's, the balls have to be the same. The the shaft length is I, the I same. I just, I mean, my feeling is, and of course, you know, I, I have a relationship with Phoenix Boats, but 
my feeling is for all the years that classics and shows that I've worked, you know, those companies pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, which equal millions of dollars to Bassmaster to sit on their showroom floors during the Bassmaster Classic. Now, if, you know, they have no interest in those companies' money and sponsorship, then they should start a small boat field <laughs> and have a small boat tournament where everybody's got, you know, winches and ropes and chainsaws and shovels and we can I all go the last time digging Keith anything we want to that that i suggested they start a extreme trail yeah that would be some wonderful television that's what i said yeah that'd be cool but you're talking about st- standard i'm just talking about a bass tournament a bass yeah, boat yeah, yeah, tournament yeah, yeah. you know and, and listen i have no issue at all with you know the the 20 foot aluminum the big aluminum boats the boats that jason and john run mm-hmm. i have no issue with those whatsoever zero zero listen and everyone's saying 100k boat people are salty like that boat he's running is not a cheap boat no it's and also <laughs> you can't you, know, you can't go out and get argue, that boat for he, 10 grand he's got a 21 foot fiberglass boat sitting at the house too you know, it's not like he's not spot. He was been sponsored by Triton for a long, long time. I'm guessing he's still a Triton. Um, yeah, but that that boat's for that advantage. I I just you know I, I think there could some standardization of the of that um, a 30 day off limits period, which is what they're going to next year, would have solved a lot of this issue as well. It it takes away from some of the things that went listen. On. I see Gregory there, 100K boat. You, you can fish the open. You don't have to have a 2022 boat. You don't have to have 100K. There's plenty of guys there with four to 10 year old boats that aren't $100,000. Yeah, that's not That's not what it is. But anyway, I have, you know, it's always Louisiana. I don't have an issue mm-hmm. with it. You know, congrats to him. Here's my question. So, where, so they had odd. Uh, the, the art rule, right? With we're talking about I Douglas there with, with the jet drive. Jet drives, yeah. Tunnel hulls, tunnel hulls, and jet drives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they made that illegal in bass. Right. You can't do it because you gain a significant advantage over the rest of you. You could run up past the rocks and stuff. But right. but but what Keith basically has is a boat that can do the same thing as a tunnel hull or a jet drive. Well, it's the same thing. He's he's built and designed a boat, you know, yeah. and, and had it developed for to gain the advantage of that's very much i mean his low water pickup is mounted to the bottom of the hull of the boat it's not even on the motor mm-hmm. you know so you can you can run that prop at a much higher level mm-hmm. because you're not having to pick up water through that lower unit How look d- look i know i know i'm surprised clay's not on here i get it so everybody you know <laughs> i mean if y'all want to let's run hell let's have kayaks in the damn tournament too i don't care i don't it doesn't matter i think to me. uh mercer and i might have done a a uh, cull coming out on whether or not a kayak angler should be in the classic. Well, I get it. It's it's interesting. Um, it's it's just, you're just not playing on the same field. You know, you're not you're not I playing hear you. on the same field. That's why I think some guys have issues with it. A lot of veteran guys. A lot of veteran guys have issues with it. Yeah, they've been around a while. Huh? That like have been there and done that and seen it and been there through a lot of rule changes and innovations. I mean. I'll be honest. I haven't been on social media. I haven't looked. Yeah. I didn't read the responses. Um, I just want to get your, your quick I, take I, I, on I just, it. I, well, I mean, I, I just kind of went back to the boat because I've looked at the boat many times over the last three years and thought that boat should not be allowed. But that's just 
my thought mm-hmm. on it. Uh, and, you know, they have tried to do some standardization. I know, like, the bass has said, hey, you have to pick the vessel that you're you're running in. And, and there's someone saying about, well, what if someone fished out of a, a deep V? And, yeah, I mean, I think that would give them a distinct advantage on Lake St. Clair and yeah. Lake Erie. Yeah, and, it, it, and it, it, it's very much like what Keith said yesterday. You know, it, it it's always, you yeah. know, positional where it, where it does. Dance with the one that brung you. Well, but I mean, the, it, it has advantages and disadvantages, and there's only certain times that it falls in the wheel. But out. listen, here's what, uh, and then we'll put this this to bed. Okay. Here's what I was thinking of last night, and I hadn't brought this up, and this I think is a really good point. So Pochet's running this. That's a it's a legal boat. Let's say he had a 150 on it or whatever. It is. Right. You know, you have fished at the Elite Series level and at the flw tour level and one you've been around the best guys these guys at this level will do whatever they think they need to do to have the best chance of legally winning a tournament correct regardless of what it takes there is a big group of the money no money sponsors this is the cream of the 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 crop this these are the guys so here's what i was thinking if that is a legal boat and you can run it why are there not more of the top very best anglers in the world who have every resource and can have that boat? Why are they sticking with the 20-foot fiberglass with the 250? Why? Because for them, that gives them the best chance to win. It is the best performing boat under all conditions. And if it was the end-all, be-all, look at where I can do and what I can go with it, and if it was the best overall vessel for a touring pro to put money in their pockets and provide for their family, then hell, 80% of the guys would be running one because they do whatever it takes. It is a very situational boat. Very situational. And I think we see Keith running away with the points this year because look at where the schedule's been. I have... I mean, dude, I'll be honest. I've asked myself that question when I've been looked at that boat of his and thought, why is it allowed? I have thought, why are you doing these opens and you don't own one of those boats? I mean, dude, I get one of them boats with a phone call. Run. Mine. Own it. Put it in the garage. But I'm talking about the guys who would have to make that decision at the beginning of the year. You have to make the decision that he makes that you're all in on that deal when you go. And then so it's chainsaws and shovels and, you know, winches and all that before official practice starts, Mm -hmm. you know. That that way you can do it that way. And then, you know, but then you got a lot of – a lot of work ahead of you, which is no different than going down there and working, trying to find fish. It's the same. It's hot as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you could. A guy could do that. And believe me, that same question you've asked, I've asked myself, why haven't you just done it? But but I'm saying why the guys on tour, why haven't they done it? Because Wait, So it's a different situation. So let me explain this, okay? Because there, there is some reason to this. One thing that makes there's, – there's multiple things that make that, that a, a bigger advantage in the open setting. One is field size. Yes. 225 boats. Two is practice setting where there's no off limits and you can practice unlimited amounts of time. So the fish in the body of water takes a bigger pounding than they do in the Elite Series because those guys have a 30-day off limits with a two-and-a-half day of practice. The third thing that makes that thing totally different is is the body of waters in which bass generally chooses, generally being the key word here, generally chooses to put on their tournaments. The Elite Series tends to go to premier bodies of water in the country. The Opens tend to go to the less premier bodies of water in the country, a.k.a. the Red River. And what happens there is in the premier bodies of water, in the the best ones, the Santee Coopers, the Sam Rayburns, the Grand Lakes, the Lake Hartwells, the biggest fish in the pond live in the damn pond. Yeah. They live in the pond. Now, you can go run up creeks, you can go run up rivers, and you can catch fish, yes, but you're going to get smoked by the ones that live on the lake. 
Now that's generally speaking. And so if you look and add all those together, that boat, quite honestly, is best in the open format than it tough is. Tough fisheries. Tough fisheries, grinds, huge fields, lots of pressure. That's where the, that's three where that, day tournaments, not four day. You only have to find fifteen of them. Yep. The only drawback that is that would be better for that little boat scenario with the elites is no co-anglers. So you don't have somebody you else in the back of the boat catching your fish. Oh yeah, yeah, catching your fish. Because you're trying to manage fish in these little small areas. Fish. I got you. That's that's the only drawback. Right. I didn't want to harp on that. I just want to. I know I wanted to get your opinion. People Did Keith draw a co-angler both days? I don't know. That would have been a good question. I don't know. He didn't have one on the final day, but I think he had a he had a marshal. I know, but there was a lot of guys that didn't have co-anglers. Yeah, I wonder how his co-anglers did. That's what I'm wondering. If he had one day that know. he didn't, didn't have a co-angler, that. that would have been a big big advantage. I didn't ask that. Big advantage. It's a good discussion topic. Yeah. It's a great, great tournament if you happen to have a podcast that talks about bass fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little controversy. But no, man, I mean, it's always been Louisiana. You know, whether yeah. it's Gates. No, I've noticed that. You know, it, it, it's Gates, all, signs. Yep. Always in Louisiana. I mean, how many times I remember multiple guys, I mean, guys that get pro day, oh, he's fishing out of the out of a illegal pond, or a guy shows up, and like I said, there's a gate there, or there's a sign that says no trespassing all of a sudden after day three, or there's guys getting run off, or Gary Klein getting shot at, or who, I mean, it, it's, it's always, always, always Louisiana. Something. Remember, they had a deal down at the Sabine River where they said, screw it, y'all can only fish half of the river. The Texas side of the river. You can't even go on the Louisiana side of the river. Because it was just so complicated, they couldn't keep it straight of what was fishable and what wasn't. <sighs> it's there, and then it's at New York with the man-made canals and marinas and what's natural and not natural. Those are the two, in my opinion, the two toughest states to fish when you go to because you don't... <sighs> To me, I'm, I'm, I mean, and, and listen, you can do the homework and you can do it, but anytime you want to go explore, you're like, this looks interesting. Am I allowed to go in here? Well, in Oklahoma or the other states, you're like, yeah, navigable water. Hell yeah, yeah I can go in here, even yeah. if it says it didn't. Yeah. Like at the James River in Virginia, there's a thing that said, private, unless you're a slip, do not come in, blah, blah, blah. Call up the tournament director. He's like, nope, that's public. You can go in. That's just them putting that sign up. So yeah. then I go in guy in the marina comes out you catching him he was the guy who managed the marina and stuff he was fine with it because he knew that that was just a sign he couldn't enforce it wow wow yeah you're right there's always guys and everybody's always looking for an advantage will there be rules implemented do you feel like in the opens based off of this event let's say this based off of bass's pre-existing history over the last Three or four years, my answer would be no. Listen, I need to uh, preface this. So, yes, the launch, Kevin said, easy on Louisiana, guys. It is not the anglers in Louisiana. It is the the landowner laws in Louisiana and a small percentage of those that then take advantage of it as far as don't want people in or not. I will say this about the uh, Red River Open. Day one launch was an absolute cluster. Hank knew it. It just, it just got away from him. Uh, the volunteers that worked the launch ramp and the weigh-in procedures and made things run smoothly uh, coming in on day one and on day two, dude, they're some of the nicest folks that I've ever been around in an open as far as I would say even rival rivalry, rivaling, rivaled, rivaling, 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 uh, Smith Lake, which was an absolute 
joy yeah. to fish there. But but as far as the people saying good morning, how are you doing? The guys helping Hank uh, weigh the fish on stage. The guys at the tank. The guys off. Top notch as far as as friendly local hosts. Louisiana to me. I mean, I've traveled all over the country. I love Louisiana. Louisiana is one of my favorite places to go, and it is because of the people and the food and the fishing. Yeah. All right. Like I said, I know I didn't want to make the whole show about this. We're 24 minutes in, but I thought it was a good discussion. Yeah. You have, I mean, you have principle. Like, you, the, the, you, you've been there and seen a lot of stuff. All right, let's take our first break of the show. When we come back, we'll get into the actual fishing of it. We'll get into uh, how you found your spots, how you got into your spots. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding on that. Uh, and what you did to grind out a top 30 finish and keep your Elite Series dreams alive. BTL. On a Tuesday with the man, Bradley Hallman, in studio. We'll be back right after this. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99. And we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar. From chirp, side scan, and down scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP Reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear APCO. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Elite Series Pro, Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. 
What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic. That gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. All right, welcome back, BTL, on a Tuesday. Bradley Hallman in studio. Uh, Bassmaster open breakdown from the Red River, and let's get into your derby, Brad. Uh, I remember we had you on because we had had a a tournament on the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, You actually came on the show from your uh, VRBO cabin at Grand Lake because the family all had the flu. Yeah. And then you went straight down to the Red River. So by the time the Derby started, you weren't planning on this, but you had, what, six, seven days of practice in before Thursday's competition kicked off, which was not the original plan, just how it ended up working out. Yeah, um, I decided to go ahead and go on down there. I mean, that's what we're competing against. Like Dustin said, if you're not winning, work harder. So a lot of the guys that are beating us in points are just traveling from pond to pond to pond, and they're probably at Hartwell right now, Matt. We're falling behind as we speak. No, they are at Hartwell. I know they are. They're working. I've seen the, the Instagram posts, the Facebook posts. Um, yeah, so I, I went ahead and went down, and it was because the family was sick. My wife was like, dude, do not come home. I'm serious. She said, you're going to be home for three days. You're going to get sick. And then she said, this stuff lasts. So, like, the kids had it for, I don't know, it went through my house for like a week and a half, eight or nine days. And she said it was bad. She's like, you do not want this. So I went on down to the Red, uh, got me a cabin on the on the. On the right on the river there at, at Red River South Marina, yeah, you know I the ones that you know I the ones that were all going to be leased up because you know you if you don't call the day the schedule comes out those those cabins they were open. I thought you know this is a few days early. There's a possibility, so I called. Old girl said, "Come on down, I'll leave the light on for you with the key in the door." Really, right yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, it was and great. that's like I mean, what are the bait? It's like the ramp that everyone used. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So uh, met some great people down there. Um, just just a phenomenal week. Uh was able to take off Saturday uh, just to watch college football, which was good. Um, that was the only day I took off, though. I, I practiced every other day, including even Wednesday the half day, which I had full intention of taking off. But I managed to tear my live scope completely off of my trolling motor right before the end of practice. On the was going to be my last day on a stump. So, oh, so you had to go back out and make sure. You were- yeah, I couldn't. All new electronics, a uh, new update, and I was like, yeah, probably better get out on the water tomorrow just to make sure everything's okay because I didn't want to start tournament day and be like, ah, none of my stuff's working. Right. So what? I mean, what'd you find? What was the game plan going in? Um, game plan going in was really a lot like yours. Um. I really wanted to spend some time, and it allowed me to do it with nobody there. Mm-hmm. I basically spent two days right there in that takeoff cut. Right. Right. Did you know what was off limits in there from the very beginning? Yes. I was I was concerned about how, because, you know, like everybody's talked about, that place has changed so much. What's the name of it there? Something Pond? Yeah, Cooter's Pond. Okay, yeah. Is that right? I believe so. Something like that. Yeah. Is it, it, it was made famous back in the day. It, was. it used to have a. It used to actually have like a, a rock jetty a rock all the way jetty. down. It. Uh-huh. There was a little opening little in it. Opening. Rojas was leading a tournament. He was outside. He, I guess he was casting inside, something or wrong. he wasn't treated. There was right. something that went down there where he got protested. Somehow he was casting past. Or it was right thought. after he'd won, gotten the cha- the, the heavyweight was. championship, and was winning, and was like the number one guy 
on tour right then, and it was a massive controversy. Oh, shocking. Massive controversy on the Red River. <laughs> uh, so, so, so anyway, yeah, that levee used to be there, and I had a really good idea of how that levee used to lay, and I, I was amazed that you couldn't even see a levee. And I actually called Castledine. I was like, how are they going to enforce the, you know, the brick wall rule, yeah. right? So you can't, you have to treat it like a brick wall. Because when you make a cast, how, because it's such a long distance between, like, how can you tell if your crankbait goes just a little past? Or, I mean, like, it's going to be hard. It's anyway, just like a red line that goes, you have no idea. It was like 50 yards. It was. The hill's still there. You know, the levee, the under, I guess you call it a levee. The siltation of the, the rise but is still But if you've there. never seen it or weren't looking I for it, you never even knew there was a dang levee there. I agree. So anyway, um, yes, from, from I, dude, I think the first time I fished that place was in 2000. Did you catch him in there the first couple of days? Are you here? 2000 or 2001. Yeah, was that's first the a long time. It, that's why I asked you about dude, the Dude, like it opened in, in 99. Segment. Like, it looks so different. Anyway, uh, I spent two days in there, and I spent long enough that I was like, this place is not very good. Like, you could catch five out of there, but you had to work. Um, it was not easy. And I was surprised how hard it was in there, to be quite honest with you. Um, I knew the whole river was going to be tough, but that place, I thought maybe you could find a couple little jewels in there, you know, but did not. And then I just started moseying on down the river. And um, After a couple of days, after a day or so on five, I pretty much made my mind up that there was enough going on on five that I wasn't going to leave five. So I never looked at four or three. Really? Never looked at them. Wow. And that was not my plan going in. I was really open minded to go do anything, but <clears throat> there was there was some good looking backwater on five, um, different places, and and there was different ways to get bit, multiple different patterns going on. Whether it was you know out on the main river or in the backwater, you could get bit cranking, you could get on the rocks out on the main lake or on the river, and then uh, obviously flipping and frogging and spinner baiting worked as mm-hmm. well and swim jigging uh, in the backwaters so you know um i saw enough that i felt like i could stay on five and just try to maximize my time especially with where i was with the points right so you're always talking about has have i right. been thinking about that more than usual and yes i was thinking you know i mean anytime you go through a lock and listen the lock masters at the red river my experience historically is they have been some of the best that we have ever worked with as far as fishermen they are they're very very good about lock times and getting us through and I've, I've even seen them make barges wait in years past because they had made us promises and the barge guys wait you know for hours so that he can get all the anglers through um and that was that was on pool four i've seen it i've seen it up and down that that river so those guys are always great and it still is a high risk anytime you go and anytime you lock you take that chance and i wasn't willing to do it so I decided to stay on five. It was an easy choice. And knew that the boat traffic would be insane? Knew the boat traffic would be insane. What was the difference um, four or five days out in some of those areas as opposed to oh my gosh. the actual, as far as bite-wise and stuff? Like when you when So you the, pressure, in, the pressure really didn't start adding up on that place until about Monday. Monday I felt it. Before Monday, you didn't really feel it. And the fish, the fish were, you know, they hadn't been messed with down there in a long time. And you Mm -hmm. could tell that they hadn't had any tournaments there. That was one big difference from even years ago when it was really good or a lot better than it is now. 
um, healthier. Let's just say that it was a lot healthier then. there was a lot more fish populations were larger. Um, it was still was tougher fishing back then because they had so many multiple tournaments over and over and over, which I think is a lot of why that takeoff area wasn't as good as good. It was because I don't think they've, they've had very many tournaments, but you know, four or five days out, you could go in an area and it was decent fishing. I wouldn't call it decent. I mean, I still had days that I only had two or three bites, but I definitely had days that I had, you know, six, seven, eight bites. Hmm. Yeah. And those were good days of practice. I never had any practice days like some of the guys that I talked to in our house that were having like 18, 19 bites a day. I never had a day like that, ever. That wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> Narrow it down, folks. <laughs> Narrow it down. <laughs> we got Big John in so the house. That, you... guy, that guy just jumps on him, dude. Yeah, he's a fish, fish, fishy guy. How did you figure out where you wanted to be when then? Because the Red River is not a place where you can fish 20 spots in a day. So I had a few bites in, um, I'm trying to think of the name of everything. I don't mind talking about it. Um, beehive, I believe is what they call it. Okay. And there used to be beehives up there on the bank years ago, and that's why it was called beehive. Beehive is very easy to access. It's just down from takeoff. And the fact that it was so easy and so close, and I got some really good bites in there. I didn't get very many, but they were, felt like some of my better fish, um, I thought, man, this thing could get overlooked just because of the simplicity of how easy and dull it kind of looks inside, and it just looks boring. And um, and I started, and I was correct about one thing. It was definitely uh, not an acquired taste by most anglers. <laughs> there was only three or four of us in there to start the morning in that giant backwater. Day one. Day one. So you were like, heck yeah. Well, so here's the deal, because this place was fishing – grouped up clusters of fish so when you got a bite you could get another bite in that area it was very florida like you know mm-hmm. and they weren't spread out so they were. when it's florida like and you're by yourself it is either really 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 good and there's probably only a 10 percent chance of that or you've missed you've missed it and there's a reason no one else is there so I'm hoping for the 10%, and I spent about an hour, hour and a half in there in the morning and realized it wasn't the 10%. Um, They bit better later in the day, but I wasn't willing to wait. And quite honestly, I never got back in there. I wish I could have. I'd like to have gone back day two and played that game late in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. If the retreads had been in an off-limits area where they were inaccessible, I definitely would have done that and would like to have seen what happened because it did not get the pressure of the area that I ended up going to later in the day. Interesting. So you, you leave there. Did you catch anything in the first? I caught one back there. Okay. I shook one off uh, flipping a mat, high and mat, and the exact same flip. I got a bite, and it was a keeper. That's awesome. All right. So uh, mid-morning then, you bounce out of there? And- mid-morning, I bounce out of there, and I'm headed down to the community hole. that I knew that my roommate, Upshaw, was starting in. Um, I didn't know exactly where he was. We had talked a little bit about kind of where we were and where we'd been bit. I knew he was in that general vicinity in that back hole with me. Um, we didn't really know left or right exactly where the waypoint, cause that was a, a giant area of grass yeah. back there. But anyway, I get back there and he's still there at like 11 o'clock. Now, before I got there, I stopped and caught some on the way in too. I had a little, couple other little deals going in there, one on some wood. And then I had another high and flipping deal. And um, my clangler got a bite on a frog, 
And then I picked up my frog and caught one about pretty good one, probably a two and a half pounder. Giant. Giant. And then I came on back to the back and Andrew was still there and he had four. You were back there. You had four. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yep. And I had those two. And my co-angler had three for eight. Yeah. <laughs> and I decided that, you know, I knew that this was the best population of fish that I'd found, but I also knew that it was the most popular and I knew that you guys had been back there for a long time. So I just kind of got back in the back corner where I really felt comfortable by myself. I kind of got back in there, I think, a little further than what a lot of the guys had mm-hmm. gotten in and was able to catch some good quality fish. I think I caught, I don't know, two back there. So I had four. No, I caught three because I caught right. a 12-incher back there, too, that was just barely a keeper. So I filled my limit back there. Which was huge. You knew that you'd be in the top 50. Yeah, but I was very concerned about that that fifth keeper. I mean, it was a 12-inch line burner. And it hit touch. <laughs> yeah. But I know from experience that my Phoenix board in my boat is not the same board that Bass uses. And it has caused me a problem before, two years ago at Rayburn. So That guy doesn't bump anymore. That guy doesn't bump anymore. But <laughs> the board is still the same, and the board yeah. is different. And I'm concerned about that board. So I'm concerned about this fish. And actually, my calling it was his very first tournament ever, and uh, he'd gotten he'd got somebody had bought him in uh, as a Christmas gift. Ah, yeah. So he was very excited, and uh, he was telling me, I was I was like, man, I got to get rid of that fish. I got to catch one more. I got to catch one more. He says, oh, they'll probably come up schooling for you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> On the red, I swear to God. <laughs> what? I swear to God. No way. I go back up to where I caught the fish coming in earlier in the morning, and I'm up there on the bank with my frog. And I even said, I said, yeah, I need one to come up schooling on my frog. And I'm throwing the frog, and I'm twitching, and I'm twitching. And I hear something behind the boat, a splash. And I'll turn around, and he's already turned around and looked too. And it's out there a little ways in the middle of the ditch. And you see the rings of the water. And I said, what was that? And he said, I think they were bass schooling. <laughs> And I was like, did you see them? And he goes, yeah. I said, were they big or little? He said, they were little. And as soon as he said little, because I'm thinking, you know, big gar, you know, all the trash fish that are out there surfing all the time. As soon as he said little, I was like, maybe it is a bass. I turned the motor on high, put the frog down, reach down, grab my swim jig and get close enough where I can make a Hail Mary cast, you know, and I make it out there and I don't get four cranks on that jig and tink. And I'm like, like, yes. (laughs) pound and a halfer are you kidding me no you caught one schooling in schooling. a backwater on the red river right where everyone was idling where everyone was idling through wow yeah it was it was incredible I and that so, called out your I was 12 so excited yeah and that was your 10 pounds so then i knew i was over 10 pounds because i've been weighing them and i knew i was at nine something so yeah i knew that would give me 10 or i thought it would so then you went into to day two um but you knew so you're, but here, this is where things get interesting. So you knew that 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 spot had been demolished by ten anglers over yeah. the course of the day. Yeah. You knew your starting spot hadn't, where you'd started the day before, hadn't played out. But you also knew that retreads would play. But did you know? I it, that's a sketchy game too, because you don't really know where they dump them, know or where they they're going right. to bite, or right. what happened. Right. So then, right. and you also knew very easy to zero, but another. 10 pounds you're in the top 10 and you're on your way 
Yeah. So uh, day one, I made some mistakes and decisions uh, starting, and um, day two, I continue to make mistakes. Um, I really thought I probably needed to stay close to takeoff um, and try that retread deal and see if I could find them because they generally bite really well on a place that has been devastated the day before. But I'm sitting in an area where there are multiple, multiple guys that are, if they're not in the top 10, they've got damn near top 10 weight. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. ounces here. So with inside the top 20, I've seen over half of them. And I was about one. 30 something the first day and so the next day i'm in you know i'm down below 100 i'm in like boat 70 something or something like that and um i'm like well it's a decent boat number i know i know it's hard to believe that boat 78 is a good boat number but it is in the opens and so i'm like i'm going i'm going straight there i'm gonna put my head down and i had some backup ideas that i thought maybe i could flip some of those fish out and so I'd rig some rods up to that before on some backup patterns in there and um, really got in there and it was dead like we thought. And I, I do this a lot with co-anglers that are willing. I kind of use them like a, like a bird dog mm-hmm. to, to find the quail, you know. Um, I, he, he was open for any suggestions. I said, dude, tie on, a, tie on a little baby brush hog with about a quarter ounce weight and just start flipping the holes, the little holes that are all around the boat. You know, and I'm just sitting still. We're going real slow. And he's like, all right, man. So he ties it on, and he starts flipping. And he hadn't been doing it five, ten minutes. And he catches one, like a two-and-a-half, two-and-three-quarter pounder. And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. So, like, I reach down. I grab mine. I've already got it rigged up. I start flipping. I hadn't flipped maybe ten minutes. And I catch one, two-and-a-half pounder. Good one. Giant. And uh, I'm like, this is going to be okay. I'm going to be able to do this. And I flipped for another two hours and never had another bite. You're back there. You don't have a bite. AJ's back there who blasted him the first day with 12 pounds. He hasn't caught one. Andrew's Andrew back two. there. He Andrew had two, didn't he? Yeah, he caught two. I watched him catch them both. But not giants. Decent ones. Two pounders. Yeah. Um, They're just not biting. And water looks different. The water looks more dirty from us stirring it up, and we've plowed through it, and and so then I start, well, I've got some other stuff in there. So then I go try my wood stuff. And I go try the place where, you know, they uh, I caught them on a frog in schooling the day before. And so I, I go try different areas. I start flipping some mats. I thought maybe flipping the hyacinth in there. Um, I was just trying everything I could, but it just wouldn't come together. And here's the part where I really, really made a mistake. I'd worked myself back out. This place is very hard to get into, and it takes a long time of idling. Real stumpy. <laughs> time killer. And, um, I've got a short day today. So like, I need to catch some and I've only got one in the boat and I'm towards the mouth of it. And I have to make a decision. Are, are, are you going to leave here and go back up the river? Or are you going to go back and try one more time where that group of fish was? And I'm just torn and I can't make up my mind. And I finally, I go back. I'm like, I'm going back. So I idle all the way back in there. And it takes probably 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I drop my trolling motor and I never even make a cast. I look around and it reminded me, it reminded me of Okeechobee, um, the grass reed heads that I'd won uh, that tour event out of what it looked like on day four after the hurricane winds and we'd all <laughs> fish through them. And I just remember thinking back to when I'd found those fish, how it looked and what the ecosystem and the environment was like compared to what it was like at the end that's exactly how that backwater looked. Exactly. 
It looked nothing like when I found that place in practice. Nothing. The ecosystem was totally different. The perch weren't popping. The water mm-hmm. wasn't clear. You know, the grass wasn't just completely torn to a million pieces, um, floating everywhere, debris and just trash. And I was like, I'm out of here. This was stupid for me to idle back here. So now I got to idle all the way back out of this thing. But at least my mind was made of win or lose, get the hell out of and here. And you've got one fish at this point. And I've got one fish. Good one, though. Yes, good one. Two and, two, a, half, two and a half pounder. Two and a half pounder. So I make the run, go all the way back up to the river, top of the river, and get out there. There's 25 boats out there. <laughs> it was a circus. It was a circus. They're all looking for retreads. Um I fish around, talk to Andrew. Andrew had actually left when I wished I would have left. He left two two and a half hours before me, maybe even three. And uh, I still got time though, man. It's like one o'clock. I've got time and to catch some fish. Andrew hasn't caught a bass, so that's concerning. So I bounce to the other side because there's nobody on the other side of the river. So I just want out of the, the 25 boat. So I go to the other side of the river flip a little bit of some of that grass, and then I come to a rock section, and I pick up a crankbait, a square bill, uh, catch one, a keeper. And I'm like, hey, I caught one. And I go a little further. Because at this point, it's been like six hours. Yes. Without a keeper bite. Yeah. Without a bite. And then I come up to this, like, lay down that's there, and I pitch my square bill up there, and I come down the side of it, nothing. I pitch down the other side, nothing. I pitch this thing, like, five, six times, and like the fifth or sixth cast, crack. I catch one, two, two pounder. And I'm like, Hey, I got three. And I look at the clock and I've got two hours left to fish and I only need two fish. Like, I think I can get this done. Now this is when I make some more bad decisions. Um, I'd caught those two fish. My conger catches a nice one. Just after I caught that one, he catches like a three dude on a brush hog, that same baby brush hog that I had him tie on that morning. <laughs> so now he's got three because he caught he caught two in that backwater. So he's got a good – I mean, he's got a good bag going. He's got like six pounds. He's loving life. He's loving life. And he didn't catch a fish the day before, so he is pumped. Cash a check. Yeah, he fished with the castle down day one. He cashed a check, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, yeah, he had – yeah. He had six to pounds, how do you cash a check? Yeah, that's, that's cashing a check. So um, I decide instead of – pulling up my trolling motor and running a new section which is what i should have done i decided man that was a pretty long section let's go back down it so i go back down it no bites and then i decide turn around and go back down it again and i'll be honest at at this point that long practice is adding up on me my back is hurting just from standing fishing for so long the heat it's been incredible down there. I mean, I, guys, I can't even explain the humidity and the heat. I heard you talking with Keith yesterday about how much water you drink, and it is true. Um, I'm just drained, and my brain is not functioning. If I, I wish I could have those two hours right now with the way I feel right now. Dude, I'll, I'll catch two keepers. You need a supplement sponsor, Brad. I just ran out of gas. I mean, I just didn't have anything left in the tank. And when I look back at my performance of the last two hours, I wasn't fighting, clawing hard enough. Mm-hmm. Because two more fish put me in the top ten cut. Possibly one more. Yep, possibly one. And you just never got another bite. And I never got another bite. And but I just went up and down that same I stretch. saw you come in at, at, you know, I had just weighed in my massive two pounds, eight ounces on day two. And saw you, and I knew, thought you'd had one. And I look in your bag, and you got three. And those that, that was massive. Yeah, that was massive. I mean, if you look at your so like your your standings this year, you're nickel and diamond them to death. 
14th place is your highest finish. You've cashed uh you've cashed uh two checks the entire year. 57th, 56th, 96th, 14th, 68th, 56th and 26th. Yeah. Every single tournament this year you have had a pivotal fish that was the difference between a hundredth and sixtieth. Because oh, yeah. when you have two hundred twenty boats and then the fisheries we've been to, I was looking at this the other day. Great decisions in, in Florida. Tough bite, canal fish, Ned Rig. Get out of here. Yep. Really? Yep. And at the time you were pissed, but you look at it now, fifty seventh. Uh Cherokee Lake, fifty sixth. Grind for you. Not a great practice. Found yeah. a little bit, a little secret, something that you went with that reminded you of home yep. and ran that pattern to the dirt while a lot of guys that finished caught tons of fish. Right. Uh, James River in Virginia, completely underestimated best, an area. Best, best practice of the year. Best practice of the year. Yeah. But uh, didn't you have a big one one of the days? Yeah. Had a four pounder all the way to sit down, had her come. I mean, I'm sitting down to pick her up and she just comes unpopped on a square bill. Right. But still, 96th place finish mm-hmm. there. That would have been different. Ross Barnett, incredible decision making on day two to stick with those shallow mats that everyone had overlooked in a section of the lake that a lot of people thought was dead. Yeah. Uh, Oneida, business decision at Oneida did not really, f- you found the bite, but it died. Yep. And you went and sat in front of the ramp. Brilliant decision there. Yep. I mean, you sacrificed the potential for a $3,000 check, but you saved it from the hundreds. Correct. Chesapeake Bay, massive grind fest, nothing working. You anticipated what you were going to be able to do there. It didn't work. Stayed close to the ramp, grinded out of 56th. Yep. And then here, Red River, spot starting spot doesn't work. Secondary spot blown out. Come back. Add two to the freaking box on the last day, 26th. Like, you're living on the edge in every single one, so you've made some really good decisions in almost all of them because it's not like you're, you know, way up there and these fish aren't mattering. You're talking 20, 30 points every single event for key decisions. Yeah, and it's a big difference. You know, I mean, we both know that those 100th place finishes take you out of this thing instantly. Yeah. You can't have them. Yeah, I've had a, a, a solid year, but I have 102nd and 126th. And yep. if you add a 60th with it and you give me another 120 points, now I'm only 80 points out. Mm-hmm. But it's just those 200s. I'm just grinding. But, you know, I think anybody that you talk to that does well in the points at any point in the season, that any of the trails that I fish, they talk about how things – kind of went their way you know yeah. what i mean yeah yeah yeah. and it, it, it there's so many tournaments that are down to one fish and you know you know looking back even years and it's like man just one here one there are big difference makers yeah. all right uh we're gonna take a quick break when we come back uh i'll quickly recap uh how things went for me this week on the red river i'm also going to address some of the people who think it's time for me to give up the dink and dunk they think i'm spinning rotten too much they think it's a death sentence for me that there's no way i'll ever be able to catch him if i rely on a spinning <laughs> rod as much and all i have to say is boy it really is a what have you done for me lately because uh we'll get we'll get into that when we get back btl on a tuesday with bradley Holman breaking down the red river open we'll be back with the final segment right after this have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig the type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision making process No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. 
What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com. The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36-ton multi-directional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy-touch, soft-feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the matte sexy shad just a really different looking color for a crankbait so you want to give them a little different look that matte sexy shad is definitely the one to go with all these colors are available in the original little john and the md combining one of the most popular hook styles with gamakatsu's beefier superline offering the gamakatsu superline offset round bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well-suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The Round Bend offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-aught, 3-aught, 4-aught, and 5-aught, this is the most durable worm hook, designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success. And that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Hi, right, welcome back. BTL on a Tuesday. Uh, really good breakdown, Brad, of how your tournament went. And, um, you know, I think, I think the listeners and viewers really like listening to the tournament breakdown from you because uh it's a raw kind of a litmus test because you're trying to make the best decisions and post you don't have to hold anything back and i think you learn the most from hindsight yeah and especially when you work with other guys and you kind of know what goes on um i get asked a lot by people well how do i how do i become a better uh 
tournament angler as far as tournament decisions. And I'm not saying that I make great decisions, but I know I make a living talking about fishing, right? For a living. I know a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people before, yep. during, and yep. after every tournament. And I know what's really helped me uh, and, and progressed my education and decision-making is taking my decisions, but then knowing how what other people did, the decisions they made, why they made those decisions. Honest people, people who are telling the truth, people you trust, people who are good anglers, and trying to get into their head and figure out how they, they made either good or bad decisions. Uh, and I think you can then take so there, there's current there's themes right as far as staying around fish, fishing confidence stuff, sections of the lake, how you wish you wish you would have done better. Um, so when these people say, "Well, how do I become a better tournament angler?" I said, "Here, here, here would be my suggestion. Instead of jumping in bigger tournaments right off the bat, I don't think you learn much if you're inexperienced and you jump in an opener or a Toyota series. I think if you take a local club tournament, a BFL, a Bass Nation event, something small like that, even a team event, but you have two or three other guys." that are fishing as boaters you're all putting in the same effort you're all doing your homework you're practicing Mm -hmm. anglers that you trust Mm -hmm. that are quality anglers and then you're honest with each other after the event is over i think that's where most of the learning takes place i think that's where uh most of the growing as an angler takes place uh and you can learn it doesn't matter whether your 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 friend zeroed or whether you zeroed or whether you won the tournament i think the experience that each person goes through in making those decisions is equally as important. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. I, I, we've done that for years and years and years with a lot of the guys that I've traveled with. Um, lots of conversations on the way home, and it is very hindsight twenty twenty uh, for everyone, and that, and that's generally how it works. But yes, it is the big, huge learning experience. I mean, that is how you learn. All right. So uh, I came down to the Red River, uh, kind of out of it in the points. Really looking forward to Hartwell. I knew what the Red River could do for equipment. I wanted to make sure my electronics were in great shape for Hartwell. Uh, in all honesty, I I, I didn't want to 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 spend extra money. Yeah. Uh, on something that I was not my strong suit. So my game plan was was stay by the ramp fish close to the ramp uh and really grind it out i was using bait casters when i did it also a little bit of spinning rod stuff but it just it didn't feel right so it didn't look right it didn't look great but i was like this is what i'm going to do so i put my head down and this is on me this is a learning experience on me i knew there was that weird cooters pond deal Mm -hmm. but i also thought that it didn't exist anymore i thought it was a thing of the past Mm -hmm. but that it was now public and then i look and there's like this weird little pond thing in the backwater so that must be cooter's pond that's where the off limits is so i go to the right and i start fishing i'm like oh there's really not many people back here. there's a couple boats right up there by the ramp and then i just work my way back and i said and i get a bite second cast 13 incher i said all right and i get another bite i said well i'm gonna work this entire short spot probably about a half mile wouldn't you say yeah dude i flip wood for a half mile i spent six hours back in there I flip every single piece. I that fig- thing's probably over a mile. I figure out where it is. There's some with deeper spots. I'm shaking. I end up shaking like five fish off, and I catch three. And I've got all the waypoints, and everything's good. Well, I had come in on a, a Monday night. That was my game plan. I don't really care what else exists on the Red River. I think I can do well. I think there's a chance I can top ten out of this because every tournament historically there's a top ten right by the ramp. There were this time. It was just a little bit further out. Uh, and I always put my feet like this, and then uh, uh drunk wooden a couple guys are foot shaming me now i don't care uh so i get back and i was rooming with with john and uh you you guys have been there for days you've been there for three months not by your own volition but i really 
I kind of talked a little bit about what was going on, but I didn't really feel comfortable talking about what was going on because you guys have been there for so much longer and put in more of the time. Like I t- like John threw me some bones like, hey, you need to move your, your frog faster. And I think they're up. They're not on a punching deal, that type of stuff. Um, and he goes, dude, I, I told him, I said, yeah, I got some bites. You know, I stayed close to the ramp. And he goes, uh, I, I don't mean to to alarm you, but I believe all of that is considered Cooter's Pond and off limits. I'm like, nah, no way. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I like read it. And he's like, what are you? I said, I said, oh my God. I said, every single bite that I had on Monday, I spent 10 hours oh. sweating my butt off, drinking gallons of water, marking waypoints, figuring all this stuff out, wondering why there's not many other guys back there. There's like one or two guys that came back. It's all off limits. I had to call Hank and ask him, and he's like, "Yeah, it's off limits. We've there's tons of guys where we've had it." I said, "So it's, it's, it's hard to see now, dude." I spent and I only came to practice two and a half days. My entire first day gone, done because I'm an idiot and I didn't look at the line where it went. I misinterpreted where I thought it was based on what I had heard and done. Completely on me. Every single cast I made, with the exception of the first ten casts of the morning, was in an off limits area. That is extremely frustrating like i knew when i heard what you'd done that you were having to come apart i was just like are you freaking kidding me well the rest of that place looks like trash in there yeah it does i mean it doesn't look like the other side the uh the moss is like scummy all the wood has slime on it the water is a weird tannic brown color doesn't look good no so I'm like starting over. Now I've got a day and a half of practice. Right. So, you know, I'm kind of freaking out. And John goes, well, you could go down to pool four. It's all, you know, always one out of pool four. And I had heard of, you know, you know, Sullivan's and the jungle down there. Right. Like I relied on a lot of guys in this deal. To, so I go down and he goes, well, go in the jungle. So you fine. And then go into Sullivan. So I go in the jungle, completely overwhelmed. Like just the go in the, it's, it's big, big. No pads, no other grass, tons of floating hyacinth mats. I stay in there for four hours and get one bite. So then I go, I decide to, I, I went back in another pond, no bites. Now I'm in pool four. And then I talk to Andrew, and Andrew's like, well, I'm not going down to pool four, but there's one area, Sullivan's, that you can typically get bit in. So I, okay, so he gives it to me. So I run into there. Once again, it's not like, hey, here's where to fish in Sullivan's. It's like, here is a two mile area and somewhere in here is a population of fish you've got wood you've got duck blinds lay downs clay points hyacinth uh creek like you've got everything in there so i fish around for two hours no bites and i get three bites dunk 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 out of a mat that's 20 yards long jack the first one two pounder shake the next two off wow so i call andrew and i'm like i don't mean to jack you up but you kind of told me to come in this area got three bites in here he's like cool still not going there have fun (laughs) <laughs> so so I leave and go back. What? Oh, that's got to make you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to lock. I wasn't planning on going more than 50 yards. Now I'm going to come down. So I take my hook off, put a hitchhiker on. I'm flipping a BFE. I said, well, I'm going to go through this area, fish 100 yards around it, punch every single hyacinth and see how many I can shake off. Dude, I never get another bite in two hours. Yeah. Not a single bite. Yeah. So now that's out the window. Well, now Tuesday's over with. So now I've got a half day. I'm not going back to pool four. Everything was spread out. I didn't get a bite where I thought. I fished off limits on day one. I've got a half a day. So then I was talking a little bit with the bird man, Kurt Dove. And he said, oh, there's this area called White House. And he said, but it's massive. 
And he was kind of in my same boat. He'd spent a lot of time at a pool and hadn't gotten bit. And he goes, I got a couple bites on one side. So I'm looking at it on Google Earth at night. And I said, did you go on this side? He said, I didn't. I said, well, you want to team up and you can go to some other backwaters and I'll go to this backwater and I'll let you know because it sounds perfect. I'm being completely transparent on how this all went down. So then um, I know I need to look for pads because John has said, hey, there's a pad bite. Andrew asked, are there pads in Sullivan's? You had mentioned they seem to be around the pad. Well, I have not seen a single pad in two days. (laughs) So my mind is going, listen, I I know. That's, That's not historically normal, by the way. I got to find some pads. So I'm on Google Earth that night, and I know I'm going to go into this area of White House. And on Google Earth, there's some pads in there. But everything on Google Earth from the jungle and all that, completely opposite, different, does not. But if there's pads there, I'm like, there's got to be some pads there. So I asked John, and John wasn't thrilled that I asked him if there were pads back there. He said, yes. He said, this whole thing is pads. And then he moved on. He goes, but there's really good hyacinth over here. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is full transparency. But I also didn't want to get in his way or anything. But I also knew it looked huge on there. I said, is it big? He goes, yeah, it's big. He goes, but these these hyacinth are right up against the bank. They're six foot of water. If I were you, this whole area over here. Well, he didn't know, but that was the whole area that Dove had fished and had been like, dude, it looks really good. I didn't get many bites in there, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I got to go in there. I got nothing. So I go out on Wednesday. I go in there. <laughs> and I call Dove and I'm like, yeah, they're on the left-hand side. Cool. Uh, did not see anyone else in there. Then I talked to you and it was obvious. I was like, yeah, I got some bites. And I have verbal diarrhea when it comes to saying where I'm fishing. I just blurted out. That's my bad. You, you didn't That's say, bad on you, me. You didn't say, you didn't tell me where you were. You didn't. But you told me that style of fishing you were doing and what had happened to you, and I was like, "Yep, I bet you I know where he's at." Yeah, I, I, like I said, my, I don't think my head was spinning. But now you got to realize I had fished that entire freaking yeah. pool. <laughs> Bobby's saying my head was spinning for too much info. It was not. I did not have too much info. I didn't have any info down there. I just, you know, when I talk about these areas, it's not like spots or anything. They're very well known community hole areas since the Red River opened. Correct, Brad. Say that again. The jungle, Sullivan's, yeah. Yeah. the ramp. Yeah, absolutely. That's, abs- that's not like too much info. No, I mean, that's just basically the areas that they come from. Yeah, it's the, anyway, the so that's what I problems. checked and I didn't. So I decided I'm going back in there. Go back in there. Uh, day one, first thing I see, bright green console. Well, son of a gun, Andrew's back in here. <laughs> yeah. Right on the juice. On the side, I wanted to. Four other boats, so I stopped short. Co-angler catches two right off, or one right off the hopper. I'm like, cool, good for him. So I work down the side that I didn't get any bites, and you get back in there, and you see how, you know, one of the guys leaves. He's already jacked him. Andrew's back there. He's on the right. I go to the left. I catch a couple. Uh, then Andrew comes over. He's like, hey, man, I was catching him out of here. I was like, well, I'm, was, uh, my bites in practice were over where you are now. So now we've kind of established a rough boundary. Like, I didn't go into the right on his side. He didn't come on the left on my side. He catches four. I catch. Then you come in. Now I'm like, crap. Now there's all. I didn't come in until probably 11. 11. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. But, I mean, I milled about there. My co-angler had three for 712. He got three bites. I lost some fish on a horny toad. Andrew caught him. You come in there. Then you're in there. Then I turn around and John's coming back in there. So at one point on day one, me, I never you, saw John, Andrew, there. and John were all in there. I never saw John. He was, he was in there when you were in there. 
all the way to the no, back? No, he didn't go all the way to the back. He came out. You know that side that kind of went yeah, I saw on him. the, the right-hand side, there was like a little clear mm-hmm. spot. I caught one right behind him at the end of the day, the schooling fish. Um, I saw him out yeah. there. So I knew the place was destroyed. I, I'd had 12 or 13 blow-ups, just, just luck of the – I'm not super great at frogging, right? Not my forte. Andrew thought I was maybe setting the hook a little too early. I thought I was waiting. I think it was just sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. Um, what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. What are you laughing about? Do you think I was setting the hook too early? <laughs> I have no idea. I wasn't watching. Did he you. say I was setting the hook too early? No, he never said a word. I just, I'm just laughing at you thinking of yourself talking about frog fishing. That's all. No, I've, I've never weighed in a fish on a hollow-bodied frog in a tournament. <laughs> I've caught them on it. I've never weighed one in in a tournament. That's yeah. how little I throw it. And I was throwing the, uh, the that big bite buzz frog. Yeah. Um. But they would come up through those holes, and there wasn't much time for them to get it anyway. I went like 7 for 13. I had 8 pounds weighed in. Well, I had to go back. I didn't have anything else. Literally had nothing else. Went back. Same thing. Stuff was chopped up. Had three good ones eat it. The fish weren't committed to it. I didn't have a chance on getting any of them. Andrew wasn't catching them. That other dude wasn't catching them. You weren't catching them. No one. uh, Tompkins wasn't catching them. No one back there was catching them. No one was catching them. No. Uh, a couple guys that were there didn't even come back on day two. So uh, They were the smart ones. Yeah. So uh, my co-angler catches like a pound and a half or reeling in a bait to make another cast. I had a 75-year-old co-angler that acted like he was like 40. It was crazy. He was like awesome. bionic man. He was unbelievable. It's awesome. And then uh, we both. I started by saying, well, maybe they got under the mat. So I started punching the hyacinth. We double up on punch bites. Mine's a seven-incher. His is a pound and a halfer. And I was from me to you from Nick LeBrun when it happened. And Nick goes, well, that's my cue. And he packs up his stuff and leaves. <laughs> and he's got one. And I'm like, no one else is catching him. And then you were spun out and you left. And I was like, yeah, I'm out too. So Dude, I had a point where I was literally idling donuts out there. I was so like trying, torn about going back up or. Did yeah. you see that? Did you notice that I was like idling back and forth? Yeah, well, and you came over and talked to me, and yeah. I said it's trash. Yeah. And then you went over and talked to Dove, and yeah. Dove's like, you're in the middle of a dead zone. <laughs> and then you went into the back. Yeah. And then you just left. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was terrible. <laughs> Dove, uh, you're in the middle of a dead zone. That's what he said. <laughs> he screamed it. You're in the middle of a dead zone. Um, <laughs> As he continues to fish. Uh, so I was like, dude, these are really good guys who know what's up and the, and the water looked different and everything looked totally different. It did. So this is, like I said, this is full transparency on how this happened. So I run out and I, uh, oh, I run into, uh, Tompkins who won the, uh, Chesapeake Bay event. Yeah. Timmy, Timmy Jr. This is how, this is how bad this is. And he goes, man, I should just go on the main river and try to catch spots. Cause I just need that for a limit. And I said, say that again. He said, I should go on the main river and try to catch spots. I said, they're spotted bass on the Red River. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I said, like 12-inch spotted bass on the main river that you can catch. He's like, yeah, you can go out and catch them on a drop shot. And I said, really? <laughs> spotted bass, drop shot. This is in the tournament? This is with at noon. <laughs> and I said, all right, see ya. So I tell my guy, I said, we're going to go on the main river and drop shot for spotted bass. I didn't know there were spotted bass in the river. Tompkins said there's spots. So I go, out of the deal, I go straight across, and there's you know rock jetty there, and it drops us 20 foot deep, and I rig up my little drop shot, and my co-angler already had one on, and he casts out behind the boat. Like, second cast catches a pound and a half spot. That guy's on fire. He's got a limit now. 
And I'm like, holy cow. Well, fine. I'll have six pounds of spots, take my three grand and go home. Then I catch a short. I catch another short. Then I catch a 40-pound buffalo. Now I've got half an hour left. I, I hit every single wing dam and rock and you stuff have on no the way fish back. In the and back. I have zero fish. And your congler has three. Yeah. See, you're fighting. You're fighting the last two hours. I'm, I'm yeah. not fighting so at this point. This is, this is crazy how many guys I talk to. So I roll up on another little opening. And it's like 10 feet across. Well, this boat, whoa, shuts down on the other side of the opening, like 20 feet from me. Yeah. And it's Coop. Okay. Coop Galat. Yeah. Freaking out. Doesn't, he's got like two and a half, three pounds, right? Yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry, dude. I caught a keeper in this opening. I have to have something or else I'm totally screwed. And I'm like, it's all good. I said, I don't even have anything. And he's like, I hate this place. I said, not more than me. <laughs> so he goes, he, that this is another thing. He goes, man, I should be right back at the ramp, catch a release fish, but I can't bring myself to do it. And I said, why? He goes, well, when I was coming in, I watched him dump him right outside. I said, on the main river? He goes, yeah, on the main river. I said, and you're not there? And he goes, no, I'm an idiot. And I said, yeah, you're an idiot. I pulled a troller motor up. <laughs> said, you could have this one. <laughs> and said, you could have this one. So I drive straight, <laughs> straight to the launch ramp. And I've got like 10 minutes left, right? Yeah, yeah. So I get up there, and it's like a parking lot. It was. And I sat down, and a boat's pulling its troller motor up right on that jetty right outside. And I, perfect, I ease in. I've got 20 yards on either side. I got a dude coming up on me, and I got another guy from Oklahoma there. So I talked to him. He's like, no, I don't have anything. And the other dude was uh, Randy Sullivan. And Randy comes up, and he doesn't have a co, and he's flipping. Well, Randy was back in White House the first day. His co had a big bag. He had nine-something. Yeah. I said, missed you this morning. He said, I ain't going back in there. I said, you got him? He goes, I got a limit. He goes, but it's the most boring day ever. And I said, please don't tell me you sat right here all day. He goes, right here. And points his finger down. Yep. Well, Randy finished in the top 10. A bunch of them did. So I've got, uh, I've got uh, five, you know, five minutes before I have to go in, pull a crankbait out, catch a fish. This is Keeper. So incredible. With five I've, minutes. Yeah, I got one. Put it in the box, make another cast, catch a short. Come upon a piece of wood, crank, nothing, pick up a wacky worm, catch another keeper. Wow. Now I've caught two keepers in three minutes. Flip back in, catch a short. Time to go. So I go in. In the last three minutes of fishing, I catch two keepers for 2.8, which finished me up to 73rd place, and that was my whole Red River experience. I had two hours and couldn't catch two. I would have killed for that last five-minute flurry. Okay, now here's my, here's my rant on the dink and dunk BMR squared, spoken hub, spinning rod deal. All right. People have such short freaking memories, Brad. It's driving me nuts. I'm going to rant a little bit on this. Last year, I finished sixth in the overall points. The year before, I went into uh, uh, Louisville, and a top 20 put me on the Bassmaster Elite Series. And the year before that, I made the FLW Tour and finished third in the championship. Yes. All of this primarily... Dink and dunk. Dink and dunk. In big fields doing it. This year, it's like I fish seven tournaments. I'm 23rd in the points, and everyone's saying, oh, well, it's because you're throwing a spinning rod. You're not power fishing. It's not going to ever work on that. People have such short memories. It absolutely works. My execution has been crap this year. It hasn't been my decision-making. I've been around fish. I have had three of my seven top 10 co-anglers in the top 10 in the standings. Yeah. You have had two some, of them. You have had some co-anglers guess what? wreck them this year. Two of them were dinking and dunking while I was power fishing, Brad. 
Yeah. I have primarily power fished this year. Power fish, Red River until the last five minutes where I caught two. Chesapeake Bay, uh, power fish. I did throw a drop shot a lot there. Uh, Oneida, drop shot. Ross Barnett, power fish where I lost all those fish. James, power fish. Cherokee, uh, jerk bait. Jerk bait and a uh, swim bait. And Kissimmee chain, punching 60 pound braid. Mm-hmm. And flipping mats. Like, mm-hmm. I have power fish this year a portion of, or majority of every single tournament. And I think that's why I'm not in contention because my limit streak is not up there. Look, that's why I read off your finishes. I'm the mm-hmm. same way. I just have not waited a limit mm-hmm. as much as you have. The dink and dunk is still alive, it is still very viable. I agree. I think it is too. It's your deal too. I mean, it's where your confidence is, and that will never change. Mine is. You know, flipping, frogging, spinnerbaiting. It's just where I find myself over and over and over. But, dude, it's what you look for. It's what you search for. It's what gets you excited. When Tompkins says, dude, there's Kentucky's spot, spotted bass out there on the river, you're like, hey. But it ticks me off when I see these comments of everyone going, well, it's because all you do is, is finesse fish. All you do is look for small limits. No, I think in order to succeed at this, A, you have to have a game plan. You can't just go out and fish. And B, you have to be better at something and have the utmost confidence in something, regardless of what it is. Mm -hmm. You talk to the best guys in the world, and they would rather fish a B pattern that is their utmost confidence than fish an A pattern with something that they're not comfortable with. 100%. 100%. And in the opens, what we just talked about, what Keith has been a- what Keith has been able to do is get un is is target fish that are unpressured. Well, doing the traditional stuff, dude, I'm fishing around the most pressured fish in the lake now, trying to power fish. Yes. Before last couple years, I haven't had many guys around me because I'm finding areas that suit my strengths. I'm try- I think I'm listening to the noise too much this year, Brad, instead of just putting my head down and saying, screw them all. Maybe you are. I don't know. I don't know that there's an answer. I mean, I've traveled with you all year long. Um, you know, do you feel like you've listened to too much noise around the house? No, not, not just too much of what I'm supposed to be doing. I have used my forward-facing sonar uh a lot Gary saying that I'm living and dying by it. Absolutely not. The only one that I primarily used that on was uh, Oneida. Yeah. I used it a little bit in Florida on forward-facing sonar, but if you go through it, did not use it very much in Florida, uh, did not use it very much in Cherokee. In fact, I turned it off at Cherokee because I was, I was not fishing areas where I got a bite and was shocked and was like, I never saw that on my forward-facing sonar. And then I got another one, and all I saw was this fish streaking up off the bottom. And I went, oh my gosh, these fish are on the bottom and I can't see them, and I've been ripping through these areas not realizing that these fish are in the rocks on the bottom and they're coming up for it. That's why I would miss the Coop Gallant and the Demiki thing, because those fish were on the bottom, and he said when you'd hook one, you'd see them come up. I just wouldn't fish him because of it. So I didn't use it a lot on Cherokee. Uh, James River, I didn't use it at all on the James River. Uh, I used it a little bit on Ross Barnett in the marina, but not, I mean, very minimally on Ross Barnett. Uh, I did use it on Oneida. I used it too much on Oneida. 
Uh, did not use it on the Chesapeake. The only th- reason way I used it on the Chesapeake was to find the hard spot on the bottom where I was yeah. casting to, yeah. and then I turned yeah. it off after yeah. that. And then uh, obviously did only did not use it on the Red River. And you wish you were using it more. No, no, no. I'm just some people are saying on this a feedback that they think I'm relying on it too much, which is why I'm not catching them on it. It is one of your strengths. I mean, you do like it, and it goes with your your bait. Mm-hmm choices i like it i'm not like ripping on anybody like that's part of the deal we're with a show where we're public figures that are saying what we're doing and how we're doing it i yeah. like the feedback i hopefully you guys are learning from the decisions and stuff that we make and i don't sound i'm not complaining with it but i'm obviously trying to figure you're out just, you're extremely analytical just like john is and you guys just study the hell out of what you've done what your results are and it's just so different than me i don't i don't I don't analytically look back at things like that. I, I just know where I could grind a little harder and um, confidence baits, like you said. For me personally, using things that I'm confident doing, even though it's a B, C, and sometimes even a D pattern, um, I know I can do better with that than I can chasing something that's just not mm-hmm. in my wheelhouse. Especially, we know when you get on bodies of water that you're not very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, Red Ballard said he was in, in White House and ended up 11th. He stayed all day the second day, and they bit for 20 minutes at 1 o'clock as we were idling out. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well done, sir. Well done. Well done. So anyway, I'm looking forward to it. I know you got a a busy schedule. We got a lot going on this week as we get ready for for Hartwell. But uh, I have no excuses at Hartwell. It's my wheelhouse. It's mixed species. It's largemouth. It's spotted bass. It's Ford facing sonar it's gut feelings it's developing a pattern hitting lots of spots executing targeting spotted bass clear water dink and dunk bridges marina riprap spoken hub theory to a t it's probably one of my top three favorite lakes in the country very nice i've spent a lot of time on it in the bass nation championship five years ago i went up for two straight weeks stayed in a microtel hotel did not realize that the name microtel meant that the rooms were micro they opened are. the door and went what the heck is this it is then a stayed there for two weeks and then fished the nation finished uh ninth i think ninth or tenth in that tournament was third after day one wow it's a it's it's what i have been looking for. it's one of the reasons why i've decided to fish all of them this year still even though i've been out of the points I'm excited to go as well. Um, the one thing that I know is that it's a blueback herring lake, and anytime they say bluebacks, I'm I'm in. I enjoy chasing them. Um, it took me a long time to even learn how to spell blueback when I first started fishing, but dude, I love those things. I love them. And then Rayburn, and then we go to Texas. A lot of things will change in the next three four weeks here. Points wise, one bad day. I just hope I can hang on, dude. You I know, but also one no good idea. day. Listen, I want to say this. I also had the best co-angler in the world both days. I've had great co-anglers, even as they've I had two whipped, really good ones whipped too. my butt. They've done it the right way. Yep. My guy who had the nine pounds for two, like I said, he apologized. And I said, don't ever apologize for what you just did. I said, I was done with that. I was behind me. I fished it three times. I said, you fair and square out fish me on that. Yep. High five them all uh, the way to the And stage. that was the same thing with my day one co-angler. He stayed behind me, he came in, he gave me the gas money, and you know, we, me and you had had a conversation, you'd had a conversation, did we have it on air, about the co-anglers when you're hung up on the stump who keep fishing and they're like, hey, it's your problem, I'm going to keep fishing while what I'm me? getting hung up on the stumps, and how, how if, you're, if you're stuck or not fishing, your co-angler needs to put his damn rod down and help you get unstuck? Well, it wasn't me, you didn't have this conversation with me. I, I don't mind if they keep fishing, but um, 
Man, I just don't think that you know that they noticed they're back there in their own. Well, world. this guy noticed on day one because he well, sat down. You just, usually, you just need them to move, like come to the yeah. front. So, so every time I got hung up, he would notice where the stump was, and then he'd be like right up next to me on the front deck. And we get unhung, and he'd be back. I never had to say anything. Right. He put yeah. his rod down. He wouldn't fish when we were hung up. Right. He caught his first fish, and he came up, and he shows me the bait in his hand because there's a bunch of boats around and whispers. He catches a second fish. He tells me exactly where it went from. He said, oh, I got two. I need to, he, you know, dude, the guy had, like, meticulous notes. He also had his life together. He was a financial advisor, and he was my age, which made me really feel bad about myself. <laughs> uh, his third fish, you know, he had two three-pounders, uh, was out of, way out of the back of the boat on the frog. Didn't even say anything. He said, here's the frog. Here's how I was working it. He goes, I think I'm going to take a break now, let you get caught up. Every time I caught, caught one or missed, when I missed one, He'd say, hey, I need you to think 20 positive thoughts. Verbalize some positive thoughts. He goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, that's in the past. The most important fish is the next bite. He goes, that's the next thing you can do. Learn from the past. Move forward to the next bite. I caught one. See, you're back on track. I'd miss one. Positive thoughts. Positive thoughts. Then he goes, do you, then then he misses one. And I don't have a limit. And I look at him and he goes, go, 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 go. And I cast in there and I caught it. Wow. I mean, he. No, I get it. He was good, dude. Yeah. He was really good. He ended up finishing second. He caught a four-pounder. He ended up getting big bass and second in that tournament. That's incredible. Yeah, and he earned it, man. I really liked him. And like I said, my second-day guy was, was phenomenal as well. Yeah. yeah. I've had, I've Both had guys beat me. I've been, you know, not, not weight-wise on the first day, but he had three for 7-12. I had five for eight, man, two, a, and he called a, tough, a couple. That's a tough gig in the back of the boat, man. That, that, that's not easy to catch fish back there, especially – Places we've just gone to the last two. I mean, that is a that's a grind. You think it's a grind in the front, dude. It's really a grind back there in the back. Really a grind. But uh yeah. All right. What else we got? I have nothing. Nothing. I'm ready to go to uh South Carolina. All right. Uh my wife and I today. Twenty five years of marriage. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. I thought you were gonna announce number five on the way. <laughs> no. No. Four children, not five. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Yeah, 25 years ago today. Congratulations. Yeah, man. Well, you should give her a... Uh, a uh, oh, she's got a very g- nice gift A gift in. of the Elite Series qualification. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Please. All right, tomorrow, Joe Pogger, uh, MLF, talking about all the schedules. We're going to untangle that spaghetti bowl of high school, college, Toyotas, BFLs. They've got it. MLF Invitationals and the BPTs, where it all stands, the new stuff. Uh, I already said them. There's some stuff guys are ticked off about in pretty much all the divisions. We'll knock all those things down. We'll just continue with the week of asking borderline questions, I guess. (laughs) Uh, And then Frank Scalish on Thursday. So... This Uncle Frank. Been, Uncle Frank. Thanks for jumping in, Bradley. Another yeah. great show. Thank, thanks hopefully for having I, me. Hopefully I wasn't too long-winded in that last segment. No, you were great, dude. I wanted to hear the whole story. We hadn't got to talk about it. You never called me. Of all the people that you called and I talked to. I leave you alone, man. I just don't get a vibe sometimes. When you've got the hood up, especially, or you don't have a limit, I take the cue. I get it. I get it. Well, we can, we can talk at Harwell. A lot on the line at Hartwell. All right, this has been another edition of BTL on a Tuesday with Brad Holman in studio, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.